Welcome to ISM Fellows in Conversation, a podcast from the Yale Institute of Sacred Music. The episodes in this series present a discussion between a current ISM student and a visiting researcher in the ISM Fellows program. Each year, the Institute hosts a cohort of fellows who are in residence for one year to pursue interdisciplinary projects and teach at Yale. The following conversation focuses on the diverse research, teaching, and creative work of a current ISM fellow. My name is Vienna Scott, and I am a first-year Master's of Arts and Religion student studying religion and literature here at the ISM. So I'm joined here today with Carla Noyce, one of our ISM fellows this year. Uh, A Southern California native, Carla attended UC Berkeley, where she majored in English and wrote a thesis focusing on infanticide narratives in 20th century literature. Following this, she interned at South Coast Repertory in Costa Mesa and supported the production of five world premiere productions. During her time there, she worked with a Tony Award-winning director, Sharon Ott, and a Pulitzer Prize winner, Amy Freed. Carla earned her master's degree in English and theater at Oxford University, where her research focused on the cognitive science behind the experience of didactic drama in the Middle Ages. Carla has directed 11 plays in California, New York, and the UK. As a playwright, her work has been twice awarded in the Oxford New Writing Festival, as well as in the Soho Theater's Verity Bargate Award for Emerging Writers. Uh, She has received her doctorate degree from UCLA in theater and performance studies, and now she joins us here at Yale, Yale Divinity School uh, as a fellow of the ISM. So thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and welcome Carla. First, I would love to just ask you a very open-ended question about theater. Um, This is a really interesting thing to study. Did you have an aha moment, an experience that just stands out in your mind uh, as a time when you realized that you just really loved the theater and it was something that you really wanted to study? Was there a play that just stuck with you or a particular piece of work that you saw, an actor that you experienced and you were just like, this is something that I want to do? Uh, That's a great and really generous and generative question, uh, Vienna. Um, I have somewhat of an unconventional answer. Um, So I, I never grew up doing theater uh, I was definitely a bookish introvert, um, so I had no desire to get on stage and perform. And um, so I actually didn't take part in any theater until my sophomore year of college. Um, uh, and at Berkeley, the student theater group was putting on a series of one acts, and I knew the producer, and he was he was short a director, and just asked if I could do it. Um, and again, I was still a pretty introverted, studious, bookish person, and I decided this would be a good way to uh, put down the books and try to have some sort of extracurricular life. Um, so I directed a one-act play by David Ives and um, fell in love with directing. Um, it felt to me, uh, for all of my years reading and writing essays and analyzing what I read um, and coming up with arguments or hypotheses or theses, that directing a play was a, a different way to interpret a text and enact an interpretation um, that then engages other people, um, both performers and the audience. Um, so that sort of kick-started me into directing, um, and that led me to then um, write my own plays for the first time. So I think what uh, really drew me to theater is how it um, creates what we call in theater studies a a temporary community, um, that group of people that are constituted by the performers and the audience that are together in real space and time um, exploring a theme together or going on a narrative journey. And I'm interested in that sense of community and collectivity that that emerges from um, theater. That is so interesting. And that's actually very similar language that I've used to think about 
the semester-long classroom experience, especially in a master's program like here at the ISM. You have these classes that come together for seminars that are such temporary bodies that can get really close exploring these texts. Do you think there's any way in which your experience of theater studies has helped inform the way that you've built a syllabus? How do you how do you think about crafting a class with regards to some of those ideas? Yeah, um, I do. I do think in those terms pretty naturally. So it's nice to have it kind of put explicitly for me to reflect on. Um, yeah, I think about crafting a syllabus as as taking my students on a journey, um, that there is an arc, that we're discovering something together. Um, so I, I tend to like to craft my syllabi more thematically around an idea we want to collectively explore rather than, let's say, just like something that's historically linear um, or um, more prescriptive in that sense. I think also my all of my experience directing um, you know, the first time I stepped in a classroom to to teach um, in an academic setting, uh, I was amazed how easy it came to me because I think it felt very much like directing um, and that a classroom actually is a collaborative space and that while you're, as either a professor or director, the one in charge, um, the 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 effects you want are, are dependent on this group of people kind of um, coming alongside and taking this journey together. So, um, yeah, I think uh, the the experiences I've had in theater and producing it and now teaching theater-related um, topics really are mutually reinforcing. That's so interesting. Now, I know that you're teaching a class this semester. Can you tell me a little bit about that course, um, why you chose to design it, and any of your favorite aspects of the syllabus, anything you're particularly proud of in this journey that you're constructing for your students? Sure. My course um, this semester is medieval Christian drama, uh, and I think the byline is devotion, doctrine, and drama or theater. <laughs> Maybe it's medieval Christian theater. Anyway, it's on the course catalog. But um, yeah, I'm focusing on medieval Christian theater, which is what I got my master's in. Um, and I became interested in that subject as a master's student because um, I already was really passionate about theater, but um, found that our sort of modern notions of theater really uphold this idea of arts for art's sake. And it's not supposed to um, be didactic or preach at people. Um, yet when you look at medieval theater, which the most part was Christian and was um, communicating biblical stories and um, narratives about morality to audiences that primarily were completely illiterate, um, this theater definitely had a purpose that we would describe now as didactic, but I think um, sometimes we uh, we negatively freight that word um, a little too much. And um, I've had some interesting conversations in my course now with my students about um, works of art like um, we can say Angels in America, a hugely influential play, and we would be probably incorrect to say it's not a didactic play, even though it's incredibly artistic. It's really doing important work thinking about um, the AIDS crisis in the 80s and 90s and about homophobia. Um, so I think we have to break down um, this binary between art versus um, didacticism or teaching or learning that um, the best pieces of art are doing both. And so that's sort of the frame by which I'm approaching the uh, medieval um, drama course this semester. And this medieval drama subject also guides the project that you're working on in the ISM outside of teaching classes. Um, so could you also tell us a little bit of on your, about your ISM project? I know I heard about it uh, when all of the fellows introduced themselves at that uh, early ISM meeting. And I was really 
I'm just very impressed by the geographic range of your current project, as well as, of course, the fact that it extended from medieval through the modern time, as I believe. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about this kind of gargantuan project that you seem to be working on? Um, and also, I would just love to know how you chose that scope, because it is really incredible. Uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about it. Um, yeah, that project really um, developed out of my foundation um, in, in medieval theater from my master's degree. Um, and in that master's, I was looking more at how, <clears throat> excuse me, I was looking more at my master's at how medieval theater was effective um, in both emotional terms and dramatic terms at um, teaching uh, medieval people and medieval spectators the Christian narrative. And I've been interested in this question of efficacy with theater. Like when theater accomplishes something or does something within us or within an audience, how does it actually do that? Um, so my um, what became my PhD dissertation project builds on that foundation, but what I'm looking at is a particular type of medieval play called mystery cycles, which are really the Bible in dramatic form from beginning to end. Um, in the Middle Ages, a play of the entire Bible would take about three or four days to perform, um, so it was a pretty, pretty huge endeavor. And I'm looking at how um, that relatively obscure um, genre of theater from the Middle Ages has actually been adapted and appropriated in transnational contexts um, throughout the 20th century, and I would argue um, to the, the the current day. And so I'm interested in why in different times and places um, people suddenly, uh, especially in contexts that seem secular, decide that what we really need to do is put on a play that's riffing on medieval dramatic uh, interpretations of the Bible. Um, it seems pretty bizarre in a, in a sense. Um, and so my case studies look at um, a uh, play like this in um, Russia right before um, the Bolshevik Revolution. Um, so we're looking around like 1913, 1915. Um, another one that's a sort of very openly like medieval um, inspired adaptation of a nativity play that um, the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre wrote while he was um, a prisoner of war under the Nazis during World War II. And then um, my third case study is in South Africa right after the fall of apartheid and a production of a mystery play there. Um, so what I'm finding in, in researching these things in their particular context and circumstance and the artists that um, generated them is that they all emerged at these times of like acute national political um, or social crisis. And my sense is, or this is my working hypothesis, is that um, the mystery play functions in, in theater now in the 20th century and 21st century as a a performance modality that is interested in trying to gather audiences into a state of, of solidarity that feels not just um, in response to political or social upheaval, but in the face of those challenges um, is trying to imagine a, a kind of cosmic or spiritual sense of community. And I think it's important that it's, it's theater as the art form, as opposed to literature or visual art, because um, theater physically brings people together um, and creates that sense of community that I spoke to earlier. Um, so that's where um, the project is going. I have a new case study I'm really excited to work on, which is um, Kanye West put on two medievalist operas in 2019. Um, so I'll be delving into that to see if um, it holds up to this sort of theory I'm working on. 
That is absolutely phenomenal. I love that Kanye is going to make an appearance aside, you know, the operatic post-apartheid dramatic pieces. (laughs) That's so interesting. And I wonder, 2019 even though it was only a couple of years ago, it feels worlds away because we have COVID right in between then and now. Mm-hmm. And COVID seems like it would be an incredible challenge for understanding theater and thinking through theater because we can't bring people together in those spaces, which is so important for the kind of work that you're doing. And I can imagine not being someone who has written any any works of theater myself, that it would be really, really difficult to construct plays or to act as a playwright during the times of COVID because it would require an entirely new thinking about audience as something mediated by Zoom and technology. Now, I know you've taken a hiatus from the playwriting because you were doing all of this important academic work, but I assume that you still consume some theater or at least stay apprised of what's going on in that world. Um, Are there any kind of interesting revelations that have come out of COVID? Are there any plays that you saw done really well that interfaced with technology as a new medium in interesting ways? Does this impact your work at all or because you're so grounded in the medieval and the 20th century, has this not shifted any aspect of your project? No, that's a great question and <laughs> obviously really timely and ongoing. I, I mean, I think with just just within the last month, Broadway just reopened with, um, with yeah. actually a biblically sort of inspired play um, called Passover. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, theater people are incredibly creative, and they're used to working under constraint and with um, not a lot of budget. Um, So we've (laughs) obviously seen a huge proliferation of um, what I think is increasingly called digital performance or um, intermedia sort of theater. Um, That is really interesting. I mean, some theater companies were already great at um, filming and broadcasting their productions, like the National Theater in London, um, they have a fantastic library, and watching their plays is um, is just always always incredible. Um, but then we also had much more innovative sort of techniques. Um, I had friends of mine that are theater makers that were doing immersive theater in. Um, they were having video games designed, uh, so the audience would would get a video game avatar and interact with the video game avatar actors and characters. One of them was based on um, Shakespeare's The Tempest, which is really interesting. We also had performances that were happening on Twitch, um, on Zoom, every sort of platform you can imagine. And I think just like live theater, um, it's hit or miss. You know, I always say uh, to my students or people that want advice to see plays, I say, well, you usually have to see about nine not-so-great plays to see the 10th play, which will blow your mind. Um, so I would say that rule of thumb upheld in my experience of, of watching um, digital theater during the pandemic. But I also have an interest, um, a research interest, an academic interest in an investment in liveness. I do think there's an alchemy that happens um, when people gather. And and I do some work on some of the like neuroscience and cognitive science behind that phenomenon, like um, chemical entrainment or um, the role of pheromones or crowd consciousness. These are actually sort of psychological phenomena that have um, empirical data behind them and that we know um, can can and maybe only happens when people can share time and space um, and be co-present. Um, so I, I've written an, a sort of think piece for a theater academic journal recently that kind of reflects on this because I think all of us have felt in the pandemic, um, you know, what what have we missed 
by being isolated or being in lockdown and small things that can't be replicated via media, the smell of going into your favorite coffee shop or um, handing a credit card to a cashier, right? We can do all of those sorts of actions now digitally. um, And yet um, there's something that uh, gets lost. And I'm interested in what gets lost um, when we can't be in person just in everyday activities and what that implies about um, theater as well. Yeah, I'm, I totally put you on the spot there with that question, but that was a really, really interesting answer. Um, and, and along those same lines, I wonder, you've both existed as a director, as someone who who writes pieces of theater, and you've existed as part of those really constructive projects where you're part of building theater. And then also now you exist much more in the academy in certain ways, and that kind of a la mode word uh, deconstruction comes to mind that often academics are regarded as people who kind of see through other institutions and projects and kind of, you know, can dismantle them and understand their parts. Um, And I wonder if how you think about existing between these two roles, one of someone who exists within constructing the project in the world that is theater and then one who exists in an academic space. Yeah, um, I think that's a great question. I would say for me, um, my what I would call my artistic practice side and then my academic practice are constantly um, informing and reinforming each other. Um, a lot of the projects I've done as a director are adaptations of much older texts, um, whether it be Greek plays or Shakespeare plays or medieval plays. And that involves an element of research that often goes under the title of like dramaturgy within theater practice, but is essentially... Um, academic textual research and historical research to really understand if you're going to take a play that's, you know, over 2,000 years old and make it relevant in 2021, um, there's that sort of research and delving into it element that I find really rich. And similarly with my playwriting, um, you know, I often get asked what my plays are about and I never have a good answer um, other than, you know, there's usually a topic that I find or a scenario that I think has some sort of philosophical or ethical implication. And then I do a lot of I research on it um, and then a play sort of emerges from that process. So that research piece, I think, uh, has always been there for me in the way I approach theater as an artist um, and and was then naturally eventually I became an actual researcher and, and within my academic degree. I think from the academic side, um, especially when teaching theater, we have, I think, across most disciplines, at least in the humanities, we have a focus on the text and textuality is what we are analyzing or deconstructing or whatever. Um, But in teaching and in my own research, there's something to think about always that goes beyond the text, which was how were these the text is just, um, it's what we have remaining from, say, a medieval play, but it's just the blueprint of the actual performance. Um, so what you're trying to study or reconstruct is what was the performance, and the text is only one element of that. So one example that um, I, I've talked about with my students in our class right now is when we look at stage directions. So if you um, just approach a play from a text perspective, a stage direction is something um, that's very easy to gloss over. Um, it's just a simple action that's prescribed in a way that's not particularly artful or literary. But when you look at those things from a practitioner um, background like I have, 
it's um, coding for a whole visual experience that we don't really um, encounter the same way in other art forms or in other forms of um, text. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess that just speaks to kind of the, the two, um, at least in my own headspace, are constantly um, mixing and melding and reinforming each other. I think it's um, it's a bigger challenge in a career to actively um, be producing in both spheres. And so that's something that I'm hoping to work on and um, be able to be pressing into at the ISM. I think it's an amazing institute that is, it's so rare to find one that really embraces practice and scholarship at the same time. Um, and Yale is also just an incredible place for drama overall. Um, so I'm hoping that my time here will be fruitful in, in helping me combine both those parts even more. Oh, that's so cool. So do you plan on this, this may go beyond what you've already, what you've, what you've been thinking about lately, but are you planning any specific dramatic projects here at the ISM that we should know about? Are there, are you going to be working on playwriting or are you just going to get sure. involved with Yale's theater scene uh, writ large? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, no, I have a play that I, I, I did write um, concurrently with my dissertation um, and it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an account of, um, how the play I mentioned by Jean-Paul Sartre was um, made and produced under these extraordinary conditions in a prisoner of war camp. Um, and in my academic research on it, it meant reading Sartre's letters, um, his journal entries, um, the diaries of former prisoners, and just had way more fascinating information than even would fit in a dissertation chapter. Um, so from that sort of excess of information and the storytelling I sort of saw in it, I've written them a play about this. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping to, um, it's probably at the stage where it's, it's not ready for production, but it's ready for a staged reading, which is a sort of next step in, um, playwriting sort of development as you, um, you just have some actors read it out loud, hopefully with a director with, gives a little bit of a framing direction. Um, and then just have a conversation with, um, audience, whether they're just friends and family or, um, a larger audience to kind of get feedback on it. So I'm hoping I can um, find time and brain space to, to make that happen sometime while I'm here. So you told me a little bit about the class that you are teaching this semester and the way that you approached the classroom experience and constructing a syllabus. Uh, are you teaching anything else next semester or in the rest of your time at Yale? Um, I'm really excited. I'm teaching a class next semester called Staging Faith, Representations of Christianity in Contemporary Theater and Film. So I will be leaving the Middle Ages uh, behind Sad. for the purposes of next semester. <laughs> um, but we'll really be just um, looking at pairings of um, movies and pieces of theater really just from the last 20 or 30 years. Um that depict faith in different ways or um, issues that commonly get brought up in the faith discourse. Um, so we'll be looking at plays and movies that deal with topics like um, the afterlife and hell, um, climate change, uh, reproductive rights, um, just a wide range of topics. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to um, delve into it with um, whoever gets to, uh, gets to come join me <laughs> in the class. So you, you've spoken really eloquently about how you exist between the worlds of, of kind of 
theater as a practice and the academy. And the ISM is a place that, that definitely thinks about existing creatively and interdisciplinarily between those kinds of worlds. But it's also a space that thinks really seriously about faith. And of course, faith is at the center of a lot of this medieval theater. Um, but I would love to just give you some space to talk about how faith either informs or inspires or just like kind of if, if within your own life or within these works of literature, what the kind of generative role of religion or faith is in this project that you're working on. No, thanks for asking that question. And I think it's, it's a new question for me. Um, I think coming from, um, predominantly, you know, sec secular institutions has sure. been my affiliation in academia. And so it's exciting, um, to, to, have this space and be in a community where um, we have those conversations. They're just sort of um, new for me in a kind of public facing versus like private life uh, sort of dichotomy. But um, yeah, I mean, faith has been, you know, a foundational part of my life, my discernment of going from English major to theater practitioner, to director, to playwright, to doctoral student, to professor. Um, so, you know, there's a sense of, uh, you know, we're all, living our own dramatic arc of our lives with like maybe God is the director. At least that's how I like to think of it. Um, and I think within my research, I'm interested in sort of what I spoke to, which is why do people and, and like, or artists and, and Sartre is a perfect example. I mean, he was like the preeminent atheist existential philosopher of the 20th century. Um, he wrote very emphatically about, not believing in God after the age of like 12. Um, and yet he wrote a play about the birth of Christ that was so moving in 1940 that people converted to Christianity on the spot. Um, and that sort of, the, the, just the weirdness of that is, is partially why I've written a play about it because it's just so fascinating and it's so weird. Um, but I think it's also representative of the larger question of my project, which is even in secular spaces or secular, what we would call secular points in history, um, that we can still um, end up yearning for something sacred and spiritual. And, and in the cases that I'm looking at for my project, that yearning manifests by going back to medieval biblical theater. Um, but I'm interested in um, kind of, yeah, the, the inescapability of the desire for the sacred in our lives. Um, and particularly when that brings us back to ancient Christian traditions that we otherwise wouldn't um, know about or, or kind of consider relevant. Um, and in my, my artistic practice, I think, um, you know, writing plays is very much like, I always feel like I write plays on topics that I have to write the play to figure out what I think and feel about it, um, both, you know, ethically, politically, socially, and spiritually. Um, and I, I'm in a lot of prayer always when I'm writing a play, um, and saying like, okay, God, what is what is this play doing? What what's it doing for me? What is it going to do for a hypothetical audience that if they exist, you already know who they are? Um, but um, you know, usually, I think in writing a play is with with things that are difficult to figure out or think through or feel our ways through. Um, it can feel at least for me that there's so many different voices in my head observing this feeling in different ways. And I can just turn those voices into different characters 
and and then there are different people in the world of the play articulating different viewpoints on um, any range of, of topics. Um, you know, I've written plays about um, grief, about reproductive technology, about um, I don't even know. I'd have to like look at my CV again. <laughs> Just to give an audience the idea of the range of projects that she's worked on, there have been things titled How to Be a Virgin in 12 Morally Ambiguous Steps, as well as productions titled Quantum Entanglement and Murder Blood Bear Story. Um, so you can see quite the range of her theatrical experience there. Yeah, thank you for that really thorough answer. You, you really addressed so many facets of that question. And I guess a, a final, we'll say, curiosity that I have for you is, uh, as someone who is also interested in the medieval period particularly, I always feel a little bit combative when I hear other people talk about it, because I think there are so many misconceptions of the period or ways which it is not potentially treated uh, treated fairly. Um, so I noticed that, that your current project in many ways addresses perceptions of the medieval, right? It tries to rescue um, some respect for that didactic tradition, perhaps. Um, but, but if you were to speak to a world that largely... Uh, does not learn much about medieval Europe or medieval people, medieval beliefs. Um, what kind of misperceptions would you address first or what would you want the world to know? Uh, well, yeah, I have a few emphatic points that I, I think I always bring up on this that I share with most other scholars of, of the Middle Ages, which is um, if you think you can sort of write off the Middle Ages, um, then you're writing off about a thousand of the 2000 years that have passed since uh, the birth of Christ. So it's a lot of time to try to ignore. Um, we focus so much on periods like the 19th century or the Victorian era. Uh, well, the Victorian era was like 70 years um, and we, we give it a lot of attention and the medieval period was, was a millennia. Um, so I think just in terms of due diligence and being fair, um, <laughs> we, we, we can't neglect it. I think, um, I think the, you know, other thing that uh, is often cited is that um, the Middle Ages gave us two of the most important, outstanding, longstanding institutions that we have today, which are universities, um, which were created by the church, and um, parliament or parliamentary modeled um, democracies, um, which is a very different model than, you know, the roots we usually attribute to Greek democracy. Um, so we're still living in the... Um, some of the institutional um, glories of, of what the Middle Ages produced. So I think that's important to remember. And I think on a more personal and faith-related note, I think what really intrigues me about studying the Middle Ages is, you know, it was the last period in history before we had all these sort of binaries emerge, like private versus public or sacred versus secular or like faith versus reason. All of these things were integrated and in really dynamic relationship with each other in the Middle Ages. And I think um, especially when coming at it from a spiritual or um, Christian faith perspective, it's a period that was so rich in trying to frame everything in existence, everything in reality that we could encounter with an eye towards its cosmological significance. Nothing fell um, outside of that. And I think, I think it's a truth that at least myself and I think a lot of contemporary Christians are trying to recapture, which is, um, you know, the idea of we have a new 
hermeneutic lens by which we approach our own lives and reality as a whole if we um, buy into the the crazy belief that there's a God, he decided to become a person, he died, and then he miraculously came back to life, and now we have access to God. It's a, it's a pretty insane belief, um, but if we claim to believe it, it should reinform everything. Um, and I think the Middle Ages points to that um, integration of life and faith in a way that um, sort of post-enlightenment we've lost into um, increasingly fractioning uh, schisms or dichotomies. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with all the points there. That was a great summary of, of many, many contentions with modern perceptions of the medieval. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today. I'm sure everyone will so enjoy learning more about you and your work and your background. You were just so thorough in your answers that I feel like I learned a lot just sitting across the table. So I'm excited actually to give it a re-listen once it, once it comes out. Um, so thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. For more information on the ISM Fellows Program, please visit ism.yale.edu forward slash fellowships. Please join us again for more episodes of ISM Fellows in Conversation.